0: isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com smart.
1: I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Jeff Daniels is a genius of many genres. From a selfish intellectual in terms of endearment to Dumb and Dumber's big-hearted, small-brained pet groomer Harry Dunn, Daniels has had one of the most varied careers in Hollywood. Or in Central Michigan, for that matter. He grew up in rural Washtenaw County, raised to take over the family wood business. His life changed when he was spotted at a summer program by Marshall Mason of New York's trailblazing Circle Repertory Theater Company. Plucked from a life in lumber, he never waited tables. Jeff Daniels was a working actor from the start, even if it meant a few years of doing commercials. Suddenly
2: the honeymoon was over.
0: Mashed potatoes. Now that's unusual. (laughs) So I tried tater tots or at his different
1: brand. Daniels has always balanced stage and screen. He took on the lead role in A.R. Gurney's The Golden Age on Broadway the year after his Hollywood breakthrough in James Brooks' Terms of Endearment. He's back on stage now in his brilliant reimagining of Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, for which he's been nominated for a Tony. Broadway's schedule is brutal, and Daniels has been fighting a cold, but he is firmly in the school of The Show Must Go On. When you're above the title... There's a responsibility
3: and an obligation with that. And um, especially with Atticus Finch and Mockingbird, there are people who have bought tickets three months ago. Yeah. And I know the choice. I know I know what they do. I mean, if you're the star of it and you can't be 100% and there might be Tony voters out there, you bag it. And you just let everybody know and, and you just go, I'm not going to go out there less than my best. And I, I, I've gone out there 50%. And, I, you know, and this, this vocal thing, it was a mucus thing. It was two weeks long. And there were, there were shows I sounded like Bill Clinton in a close-up. I did the whole closing argument in a close-up. <laughs> and, and, and I found a way to make it work for them. And they forgive you. They, they can see that you're struggling. Most of them go, he went on right. versus the understudy, which, which is bad for the understudy. But I, I've said the only way I'm not going on is if I'm bleeding out. Well, first of all,
1: thank you for doing this on your one day off. Hardly heavy lift. <laughs> but but as I recall on that one day off, either you had 90 things to do or you did nothing. Like you ran around a million. I've, I've, to I've do, come to absolutely nothing. Nothing. But what, I'm, what I want to begin by asking was what was the genesis of you in the play? How did that start in terms of you playing this part?
3: Uh, I had done Newsroom with Aaron Sorkin. I had done The Jobs movie with Aaron Uh, And it was similar with uh, the newsroom thing was a meeting uh, with Scott Rudin and Aaron and by the end of the breakfast meeting I had it. Um, Jobs was Aaron turning turning to me in the third season in newsroom and going, look, I'm doing Jobs, do you want to play John Scully? I said, sure. You know, send me the script when it's ready. But I was already, you know, with Aaron I'm in. Uh, It's the same thing with um, Mockingbird. We were doing press for jobs. And uh, we, Aaron and I were both there and he just turned to me and he said, Scott Rudin has finally, after years, gotten the rights. And um, would you like to play Atticus Finch on Broadway? I should read the book, was my you know wow. response. But inside I was going, I, what just happened? And, and how was, hard
1: did you have to think about that?
3: I didn't blink. I'm too old to worry about it. And, and, I, and I've said... You know, the last mm, five years, ten years, maybe. If somehow I'm not challenged, then good night. I'm done. I Especially in the theater. I can, a- anywhere, anywhere. That's why I think Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all these where all the writers are going. I, oh, thank God. Otherwise, I'd be out. I'd be out. And so this was, immediately, I knew it was a great challenge, and it was Broadway, and it was Aaron back to Broadway, and Scott Rudin's world class producer, yep. and I said, I'm in. I'll figure out how to do it from now on. And Gregory Peck and and everything that he accomplished with the role, not only, you know, the Oscar and all of that, but also in people's mind, hearts and minds, uh, I was ready to just take that on and uh, figured out a way to do it.
1: Now... Sorkin, who I uh, I did this movie Malice years ago that he wrote in the early stages of his career, when he was doing a lot of writing for Castle Rock, and uh, uh, and I was going to do another project that he was involved with recently that fell apart. A uh, Few Good Men live on TV for uh, for NBC. They were going to do it live, but that didn't happen. But I mean, he's known as somebody who's very de- you know very uh, uh, demanding. You know, I mean, he likes everything his way. Was Newsroom the first time you worked with him? Mm-hmm. Met him at the meeting, and, and, you know, first day on the set was day one. What do you think someone like Sorkin, who, well, let's assume he could pretty much have anybody he wants, what do you think he sees in you? What does he want in you for these parts that you've played for him?
3: You know, I live in the Midwest. You're knee-deep in decency and honesty and respect for other people and all that kind of repressed kind of Protestant. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that, that permeates me. I don't know what it was about newsroom. They did ask, he and Scott asked, he said, "I've never seen you angry." so I told a story where I ended up getting angry, and I banged the table in the four seasons you know breakfast area, and people yeah. turned and look, and I had the part. I also can handle his dialogue, so there's the whole technical aspect of that.
1: was Sorkin in the room during the rehearsals much? uh yeah, he was he was around uh, It's painful for the playwright um. But he deferred to the director.
3: Oh yeah, he yeah, led the director, yeah, and director. he he would come. They would bring him in, and uh, there were note sessions with Scott Rudin and Bart Shear and and Aaron. I think every Saturday morning or Saturday mornings when when that's Aaron a I'd love
1: to have been at with a documentary camera. Oh my god, Scott Rudin,
3: Bart eight Bart in Shear. the morning. Oh god,
1: yeah, uh,
3: yeah. There were there were and you we got rewrites. November first, first preview, forty five previews. December thirteenth, opening, and we had rewrites. Um, lots and lots of rewrites, restagings. It was it November was a tough month.
1: Did you do a lot of research? Did you feel you had to do a lot of research to play the part or no? Um I I I read the book and then I read
3: the book again and highlighted the Atticus stuff and then put it down and never looked at it again.
1: And for people who don't know who haven't read the book, how different is the book from the film?
3: Um she goes all over the place in the book, and, and the film is a lot more streamlined. Um, it's told The movie is told from the, the kid's point of view, looking up at Atticus, the great white savior.
1: The white protagonist in the civil rights movie.
3: Yeah. You know, that was one of the things that Aaron talked about in the movie. He loses the case to Tom Robinson, and then as he's packing up his briefcase, he goes out, and the uh, colored pastor stands up and tells everyone to stand up your father's passing and you know growing up Aaron and said oh what a what a scene what a scene what a scene but today no no they wouldn't thanks for all for trying really hard and he's going to go to the electric chair now but thank you thanks for trying you're one of the good whites wouldn't cut it.
1: No. So that's something you didn't miss. You no. mean, everybody was of one mind as and to that's why one that point was where the out. The play
3: changes dramatically from the book and the movie. Because I just a, was saying
1: before you got here, we're trying to think of what are the things in the movie that are not in the play.
3: Yeah, and that's one of them. Oh, I, and I, then we go on a what would basically be the act three of a play and. In, in a lot of different directions we That's take at atti- we basically slap Atticus around until he realizes that maybe there isn't goodness in everyone
1: right you know they say the n-word a lot in this yeah. play I mean they lay it out there. they must say it 100- Atticus 30- says it yeah was there a lot of discussion about that or no um,
3: not really. Uh, I mean, sure, it was, uh, there was some sensitivity training, you know, in early rehearsals, but basically it's actors, and this is what Mayella, uh, that's how she refers to him, Is how Bob Yule refers, it's how Sheriff Heck Tate refers to him. Right. It's common was in 1934, time. so, you know, as actors, you kind of slide into that, you sure. know, and when, you know, when you're on stage doing it, that's when it's used, and that's the only time it's used.
1: In 1992, when I did Streetcar, we said, you know, are we going to do the play or are we going to do a revisionist version of the play? Because I'm going to smack my wife across the face and within five minutes she's back in bed with me. What are we going to do? Right. Are we going to do that? You know, it's not easy to play that.
3: No, we, we get that too. We get we get a reaction from from the audience today when certain parts of the play are, you know, kind of thrown out there. And it's it's normal for 1934
1: Alabama, but you can hear the reaction a little bit. Sometimes. So if we are going to go back in time a little bit, uh, how come you didn't take over the lumber company? What happened? It involved caring about wood
3: in a way that I wasn't capable of. I wasn't wired that way. And God knows my dad tried. Uh, For four summers, uh, I drove truck in the yard. Get there at 7.30 in the morning, go till 5.30. You're taking... 16-foot pieces of drywall upstairs, around corners, and when they snap... You have to take it back on the truck. You're driving around corners with 200 cement block on the back of a flatbed. You're listening to the Almond Brothers on your little AM/FM, <laughs> you know, A-track. 1970s action uh, uh, version of a boombox, and you go around and you see out of the side mirror 200 cement blocks rolling on a guy's lawn that you had just taken the corner a little too hot. I just didn't care. I just <laughs> couldn't care. He put me in algebra. He put me in trigonometry. I would study with him. We'd pull a D. It, it just. What I, it about w- your brother? What's he like? Hmm? What does he do? Your brother? He runs the lumber. <laughs> <company>. <laughs> he runs the lumber. He's it right. doing quite well, thanks. He's more of a kind of a gambler. He's kind of a, he understands money bar better than I do. Uh, and and it should be his. It should be fate. Fate. Helped out my dad, so the lumber company continues on despite my dad's efforts. Oh, my God. It would have been... I. Ju- it just would have been one of those... You're a dreamer. I, I don't... It's just my mom studied, majored in art at Eastern Michigan University. So that's where I get it. It's that I got to create. I got to create. You
1: can't have a regular job.
3: I can't. Once you start to... Understand you're creating a character in a musical in a community theater or college or whatever, and boom, boom, you start to go down that road. Uh, it's like the sharks. you got to keep moving. Whether I'm doing acting or guitar or writing a play for my theater company, I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing and and luckily have done it for decades.
1: So when you get summoned, well, you can describe it, to go to Circle Rep, to a program they had in the summer, that was your first sojourn into that?
3: Yeah. I had done musicals in high school. I had done, that's all they did. We had a summer theater program run by the same high school director where we do more and more musicals. I did Harold Hill. I did Fagin and Oliver. I did Tevye on Fiddler on the Roof. Wow. Oh my God. I would have killed to see that. Oh my God. Sky Masterson. If only, uh, no? no, no, I was Big Julie. In Guys and Dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Big Julie, walk out, Stand there with the arms crossed, legs spread, big, you know, guys in doll suit. Got a fedora, got a fake cigar, and then walk off stage, intermission. The director comes up and says, your zipper's down. <laughs> to this day, I'm triple checking that fly. So I went to Central Michigan University basically to, to do dramas. I kept being told that you're good, you should chase it. Okay, well, let's go to Central because I didn't have the grades to get into Michigan or Michigan State. I just, I just And a friend of mine was at Central, and he needed a roommate. And I'd won some awards there. And then I, I was in the library one day, and I, I um, had, was reading the CM Life daily newspaper, student paper, auditions at Eastern Michigan University, downstate at Ypsilanti, four-play rep festival, and da, 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 kids from all over the state auditioning. Okay, let's go see how I do. So I'll go there, fail, not get in. I got tickets to the Red Wings that night anyway in Detroit, so I'll go to Detroit, get drunk, it'll be great. And then I got called back, and I remember one of the Central Michigan guys said, uh, where are you going? I said, I got Red Wing tickets. Well, you were called back. Yeah, but my roommates are waiting. He goes, you idiot, you. One of the directors is from New York. His name is Marshall W. Mason. He's out here came to find out doing a favor for the guy who runs the theater department, Eastern. He used to go to college with a guy. The guy said, come on out, direct some college kids, pick up a check. Marshall said, okay. You're called back for the lead in his play. You're not going to a hockey game. <sighs> okay. Went in, auditioned. People would stand there with their scripts, you know, very presentational. And then Marshall said, yes, I'd just like to see one person, Jeff Daniels. Come on up. And um, you, he pointed to the girl. Okay, sit in two chairs, three feet apart, face each other, read the scene. You know, close-ups. And I, you know, instinctively knew not to play it to a room of 100 kids and just played it to her. She played it to me, and Marshall said, thank you. Said, we're done. And cast me in the lead in Tennessee, William's Summer, smoke. Summer smoke. and
1: Smoke. There, at Ypsilanti.
3: In Ypsilanti, college kids. No, and And by the time we were heading up to the first performance— he took me out. Like, I want to take you out for a second, talk to you. I said, Sure, yeah. I mean, that's the New York director. And I, by this point, I knew um, that he was a, the artistic director of Circle Rep in New York City, where Lanford Wilson was, where you know we had done one of the four plays was Hotel Baltimore. I Tanya Bereson. Tanya But But it was that legendary New American Play place. And I was, oh, wow, this guy's something. And he took me out and he said, basically, you know what you should do with your life, don't you? I said, well, you know, I'd like to be an actor. He goes, you should come to New York and be an apprentice. at a circle representative I'm not promising you anything. Uh, there are no obligations, nothing. You, but you, you have the talent to try. You decide. So I went home to my lumberyard father and farmer housewife mother. But they could see that there was something going on. And they were told there was something going on. He turned to my mom then looked at me and said, you should go, which meant no senior year at Central Michigan, get in the car and go to New York at 21.
1: And I did. And you see how in your career you you play what you're asked to play, the young guy, the innocent guy. You play flap. You play, uh, you know, the part where uh, you're not putting all the pieces together. You're not the sharpest guy in the room whatever. And then you turn around and you're playing Atticus Finch. I mean, there's a there's a there's a way we move toward a kind of integrity. There's a kind of a I don't like the word gravitas. I think that's but but there's no, an authority that's you have. been
3: used. I, yeah, I, of course. I, and a lot of it was a uh, gravitas has been. You got you know I, I remember some guy. Uh, I mean Ron Maxwell for Gettysburg. Just I got to find out if you got the balls. Yeah, the authority. is for me. And it was I really studied Jack Lemmon. I really studied Dick Van Dyke. They were early inspirations for me that pushed me towards the guy who walks into the wall and now is you know dizzy and the guy who's who's trying to figure out things that not the hero not the guy with the square jaw standing there doing that i was always that's who influenced me and so that's what i would attack things with something wild is jack lemon and dick van dyke had a baby and it was called me (laughs) that's what it is and 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 there's no gravitas in that, you know, uh, or at least what I interpreted from them and and, and ran with. And I, I remember having those conversations with agents and stuff and, you know, and then, and then Newsroom came along, which is probably the first one. You think so? Uh, probably.
1: Probably. The first one where you were asked to play?
3: I mean, there were others, you know, the authority Home figure. maybe, certainly Gettysburg. The guy came to have that kind of steel. Um, but it was definitely, it took, it, it was, I was comfortably the flawed hero. It goes all the way back to Flap, the flawed character, which is what all we played off-Broadway. Nobody played a rock, square-jawed Tom Cruise hero. No. You didn't, you would kick that off-Broadway They don't write that right out the theater.
1: So one of the first films you made was with Milos in Ragtime. Did you have much of a relationship with him at all? He was very
3: nice to me. Uh, it was my first movie. Must have been scared to death. Um, um, the only direction he gave me was: uh, you, uh, you move your mouth. You're moving your mouth. You when you're not talking, you wanna speak. You move your mouth. Don't move your mouth. That's it. That was it. And it was you know nerves. It was lip movement. It was you know smirking. I don't know what I was doing. It was just a nervous twitch or something. Uh, that was cool because it, to watch Milos get the performance out of Cagney in his early 80s. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to do it.
1: Woody. Two movies with Woody didn't talk much to you. Mm-hmm. Like when I worked with him, no, no no, Woody, no talking.
3: Well, good to hear. Right. That's I I to take it. It Personally, <laughs> right. uh, it was... Uh, no, there was... And you were told that going in. Yeah. Don't try to be his friend. Don't try to tell jokes. Don't, Don't try much. to make him laugh. Don't just do your job. Right. Got it. And, you know, and you get the script, which no one can see, And you realize you're playing two leading roles in a Woody, oh, my God. Okay, everything I've ever learned, please let me remember now. Go. There was one thing, though, on Purple Rose. They hired me so quickly. Uh, Michael Keaton had been doing it, and I mutually agreed to not do it anymore, is what I was told. So, fine. I came in, auditioned, got it on a Thursday, was shooting on a Monday. Fully prepared to be fired in a month. Sure, uh, wasn't 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 wasn't. Two months in, with a month to go. Now we're in. Now they can't fire me. We do a thing where I'm singing a song in a music shop with Mia. No one had asked if I could sing. Jeffrey Kerlin, costume director sure. designer, came back to the dressing room before we were going to shoot the scene or even rehearse it that morning. He goes, "By the way, um, can you can you sing? Um, you can sing." Right? <laughs> And I'm going, they don't know. They don't know. So I went out in the rehearsal, and I couldn't find the note. Key of A, I'm in B-flat, I'm in E-flat, I... F- I, uh, You're going to get Could fired. I just hear
1: it again? I'm You're going to get fired. Michael Keaton was a better singer than you. Uh, he, uh, by this point, they're going, <laughs> no, by this point, it was like,
3: he can't, the guy, he can't sing. Okay, well, lip sync it. What do we, Woody's over there going, I'm Alabama, I'm Alabama, bound, 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 bound. Where is it? There it is. Yeah, thanks. Once more, please. Once more. And then, you know, once they had sweated enough, having made me sweat for three months, now I'm Judy Garland. You're right. Right. <laughs>
1: Now you're Bing Crosby.
3: Now I'm Bing Crosby. Yeah.
1: Well, the 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 thing with him when I did I did Blue Jasmine, I had a small part in Blue Jasmine, and we're doing a scene that he later cut from the uh, film where Cate uh, Blanchett and I are in the the kitchen, a big big uh, fancy kitchen of a of, of an estate on Long Island. And uh, he says to me, uh, and and he wanted me to ad-lib something. He said, you know, say to her, you know, perhaps she should go back to that doctor, go see that doctor that she had been seeing, you know, before. Uh, (laughs) You know, just say some name. And I go, Dr. Fetterman. And he went, nothing funny. (laughs) And so when you're with him, it's it's church and state. It's funny or it ain't funny. The drama, not funny. Not funny. Not funny. He didn't want anything funny. I mean, uh, uh, Kate Blanchett. Smokes a cigarette, or whatever. I don't even know if she smoked, but that's with my memory. it, you know, two downs and espresso comes in, and we have a fight, a physical fight. And he says, "Cut!" He goes, "I'm really sorry," and but you know, you're supposed to be at your wits' end here. You're supposed to be coming apart, and I'm just not seeing it. Take two, Boom, a couple of espressos. She's clawing at me. I'm throwing her on the couch. We're having a physical fight. I'm really sorry, darling, but I'm just not getting it. You, you're really supposed to be—you you know, you're going out of your mind here. And he made her do it again and again. She was like nine times, and by the ninth and tenth time, you know, we needed a straitjacket for her. She was so yeah flipped out. But she won the Oscar. You know, she won the Oscar for best Actress.
3: They are they the good ones are merciless.
1: The good ones are merciless.
3: They really are.
1: What about Brooks?
3: Uh, madman genius in love with the next idea, in love with writing. He thinks like no one else thinks. He was one of the great writing minds I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that. that I remember just being wowed by him, Uh, that brilliance, which went all over the place. I mean, sometimes in a crazy way, and then he comes back, and it's
1: only Jim Brooks would think of this do that. There's a lot of big personalities on that film. Yeah. Uh, How good was he at marshalling all those people on the set? Or did he even bother trying?
3: Um, I think he did the absolute best he could in a situation where you had two titans. One at the peak of her career, Deborah Winger, and Shirley who still had it going on but was further down the road and was, you know, it was about whose movie it was going to be. I mean, this is all stuff as an off-Broadway actor and in one of his first movies is just shut up and listen. Yeah. Who gets the close-up? You know, when they put that tape measure in the old days on the close-up on you, and it's four foot eight inches, and then they turn around on her, and it's three feet six.
1: These Which girls, I never thought about that. These but girls
3: they, knew those things, you know? But I think also with Deborah, <laughs> merciless. She was not going to do some gauzy mother-daughter relationship. It was going to be love-hate. And um, her style of working is that um, if that has to occur off camera as well, then that's what we'll do. I adore her. Yeah, I I do too. She came to Mockingbird uh, a couple months ago. Very, very nice of her. And she's not the only one who does that. I mean, she was the first one that I was confronted with, uh, with, with who used that approach. I've since been around some other people who will do something in the first week of a 12 week shoot to jar our relationship. Without
1: giving names, for example,
3: how do you jar the relationship? You surprise them with. Um, and this happened to me. My first day on the set, they'd been shooting for two months already. And this other actor, uh, we have a, an adversarial relationship in the movie. And. We were doing a big group photo, and I put my hand on his shoulder and said, "How you doing?" He go, "Don't ever touch me again." You and blah 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 blank blank blank. I mean, just in front of about ten people. First day. What was his problem? He's method. He's got. He had some issues, but but, but he was also. It 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 was. Uh, I I'd read that he was method and all that. So I, I so I didn't know which it was. He's either yeah. got anger issues or uh, or both. Or, or it's, you know, and, and I... He's a method asshole. But that's the relationship <laughs> in right, the movie. Right. And I said, you know, done. Good. Thanks for the help. I said, it was just a joke. And walked past him. Didn't speak to him for two months. Yeah. On the set. Yeah. In the makeup trailer. I'm walking down towards hair. You need to move. You know, just walking towards him. And he would go out the other door and then come around the other door and go into the makeup chair. Yeah. I used it. And so did he. Yeah. And if that's if that's, if that's the rule... On this movie, that's the rule. I've had the opposite
1: with Nichols. Nichols was so kind to me. He was so kind to me, and really the scenes he he loved them and seemed to take time with them. What was your experience with him?
3: Another genius. It uh, uh, was a scene with Merrill and 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 Mike. You know, like as he should. It, it was Merrill's movie and Jack's movie. It was called Hartmer. Right. And so I was supporting in it. And that, that and. and so he was he was very kind, very respectful, and but it was about Merrill and I knew it was about Merrill And don't don't don't. I have a question. You don't have a question. No, you don't. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, but to be around him and just to listen to him work with Merrill in a two shot, and try this, try that, try that, and That's again, it, it's, it's the tell. same thing that that Jonathan Demi had, that Jim Brooks had. And Woody has that. That you would you you only they would think to do that. Only the great directors think of that. Th- you've thought of everything, and then they think of something. and go try this, and you wouldn't have thought of that. And that's the one. That's the choice. Nichols was like that. And to see Mike and Meryl
1: try things and miss, swing and miss. What an education. The great gift that you mentioned, what do, we, what do you learn supporting roles? The great gift you get is what you just said, is to observe, to watch other people.
3: Observe, uh, learn how to behave on camera and off, and time. Get it in two. And if you can get it in one, even better. <laughs> yeah. And the two shot with Meryl in Heartburn, where we're both on the couch and she can't figure out what to do, and it Mike is not working, and Mike's going, I know it isn't, and what it is, and it's six and it's seven, and you're sweating bullets because you know the two shot we're gonna use, the take we're gonna use, is the one where she's great. So you gotta <laughs> be great eight times. <laughs> she's gotta be great once.
1: <laughs> this is a film that. acting class, Learn folks. That. Jeff Daniels says there are both challenges and opportunities in playing second fiddle. Besides heartburn, he also took a supporting role in The Hours, starring Julianne Moore as a miserable housewife and mother. I spoke to Moore about her own very different experience of motherhood.
0: We have an incredibly tolerant business toward women with children, I have to say. Thank goodness for the movie business. I remember my son was, when I was doing Psycho, as a matter of fact, my son was nine months old and I was still getting used to having a baby and he was always with me and stuff. And he was hysterical in the trailer one day and I was nursing him and trying to get him to calm down. They knocked on the trailer door and they said, you know, we need you. And I was
2: like, (laughs) my baby's crying. I can't come.
0: And this adorable PA said, no worries, man. Take your time. (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, holy cow, I'm the luckiest woman in the world.
1: The rest of that interview at org. More Jeff Daniels coming up. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin. Don't you think it's cool to care? Carrie Yuma knows fast fashion's not sustainable and decided to spin that conscious mindset to create high-quality, low-impact sneakers. Their best-selling Akka style is the perfect, durable sneaker for dressing up or down, pairing a fresh look with broken-in level comfort. Akka is made with organic cotton canvas and ethically sourced rubber, and every pair comes with Karayuma's signature cork and Mamona oil insoles. Akka's already found its way into my summer shoe rotation. Find your pair and choose from a range of bold and beautiful colors. Right now, there's 15% off at cariuma.com slash
2: alec. This is
1: Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Jeff Daniels and I both worked on The Looming Tower, Alex Gibney's series about the lead-up to 9-11. Each episode had a different director, something Daniels said he was used to. I think I learned it on Newsroom because I knew there was a revolving door
3: of directors. Five words or less. If you can't, tell me what you want in the next take. And five words or less, stay in the chair. Don't come near me because I'll do it. I've been a supporting actor. I know how to direct myself. I'm going to come in with some choices that I think this might be what it is. And you might want to see those. I'm not going to talk about them. I don't talk about them. Well, five words or less. And they they did that. And I'll do anything you want. You want me to get angry on take four just to see who knows? I, I'll Absolutely. All you'll hear from me is, okay,
1: well, don't ever say to me, "Give me one that I don't want to do, just so I can have it." And then I said, "Well, what if you use it?" You know what I mean? There are directors I, I've worked with who I would do, I would acquiesce if Woody told me I would do whatever Woody asked me. I do whatever Marty asked me. But there are directors who they haven't earned that, and I'm like, "You, you, you know, I, I want you to have what you want. I want to get it. I want to get your part." On Newsroom and Looming Tower and Godless and all that stuff, I come
3: in ready. I come in prepared. So usually, if I've done my homework. And, and prepped it and all that, it's kind of what it should be in the first one or two or three. And so and then it's just a matter, and what I usually get is, do you want to do another one? No, I'm done. I'm done. And the best ones are the takes that you don't remember what you just did, where it's you're chasing impulses. I, I don't, I really don't try to freeze it. I really don't try to even Mockingbird is, moves around, and Bart Shearer, the director, has given me some, a little latitude on that. Um, uh, don't deviate from the story or the direction, but stay in the lane, but you can weave around a little bit. And I do, and that's film. One is different than two, is different than three, than different than four. That comes from not being in the editing room. How do I control that? I've seen stars go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to see. I need to see the cut. I need to see. Or I, I know. I'm not sure. Video playback. Playback. Good God! I remember doing a movie, and the she, the star. You know, again, I'm was brought in to help make her better, and um, take one, and then she goes to playback, and it's three minutes, mm. and take two, and then she goes to playback, and it wasn't going well anyway, and she came back. She goes, Why don't you go to watch playback i said we don't have playback on broadway <laughs>
1: it's about, I, mean, I love playback if we're flipping a car yeah you know, but if it's if between stunts, action and cut right, but that's where it is scenes, yeah.
3: and and editor they're all going to decide it's not going to be where we think it is and sigourney weaver told me that great lesson the movie you have in your head is not going to be the movie that you see and the sooner you learn that the easier this career will be
1: um, the farrelly brothers
3: and he won the Oscar.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
3: Uh, Unbelievable. There either is a God or there isn't. I don't know what that means. Yeah. And you're going. Been, you guys are Harry and Lloyd. You're Harry and Lloyd. I would work with them again tomorrow. Oh sure. Their energy. Pete and Bobby's energy on a sudden It's just it's just a great day on a great day at work when you go with them. In Dumb number Two, I walk into my trailer and all of a sudden there's Bill Murray sitting in my trailer. I, Bill. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm coming in here to do a cameo. Oh, are you? Good,
1: <laughs> we're sharing a dressing yeah, room. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, no, he was just being nice, no. and then he went over. And but we went in, and it's it's Harry and Lloyd back in their apartment and the worm farm and all of that. But the kitchen has now been turned into a meth lab, and there's Bill Murray in a hazmat suit. You can't see him. <laughs> great cameo.
1: Isn't the cameo it's supposed like, to... It's like
3: going to get De Niro for a cameo and letting him play a dead guy on the sidewalk with his face down on the sidewalk. That's what the
1: Farrelly brothers would do. Now, you moved back to Michigan. You had a two-year-old. And what was the thinking? Where were you at career-wise then? I didn't want fame. <laughs> I didn't
3: want stardom. I was scared to What do them. you mean by that? That
1: demands an explanation.
3: Uh I wasn't comfortable in situations with a lot of famous people making career moves at a party. I couldn't schmooze. I was the guy against the wall. Just put me in the audition room, and I'll beat you. But I can't outfame you. <laughs> I can't outfame. I can't. I can't do this. Oh, boy. So now I get to quit. Or I, I, I think I just realized that if that's what it takes, then I'm going to go back to
1: the lumber company. Okay, but, but that's, that's essential. So at the time you moved back, what had you just made and what was the impact? You just shot what?
3: I had just shot uh, and probably been released The Purple Rose of Cairo. Terms of Endearment was out. Maybe Marie with Sissy Spacek. Right, so, a, the, I,
1: right so you want a streak. Movies that were making your career... Yeah. Movies that were making your career. And like many people, uh, myself included, have that failure is much more familiar to me than success. Yes. So when everything is going really, really well is when, especially you sit there and go, I don't think I really, really want this.
3: I didn't want the stardom. I didn't want the fame. I wanted to be a a really good actor. That's all I wanted to be. I knew that was, I later learned, that's all I could control. I can't control this other thing. I have a wife. I have a two-year-old boy. What would your wife say? She's from Michigan. (laughs) Both of our families are back there in this little town. We had gone back the previous three summers leading up to 1986, the move back. We went back for a month in the summer. The next summer, went back from Memorial Day to Labor Day. The third summer, I was there... Mid-April from Halloween to St. Patrick's York, Day, <laughs> almost Halloween. October. I said we just spent six months in Michigan, and I answered the phone. And occasionally, I got in an airplane, went to New York, and met somebody. Um, why do I have to live in New York where I can't afford the apartment? And you know, I'm, I'm what did your wife think about what you were doing? She's your wife, who you've been with forever. Neither one of us knew she why. supported you. Yeah, and and more importantly. The agent supported me.
1: I was going to ask you that. The Would agent
3: you? said, you want to what? I said, yeah, I want to move to Michigan and just do the movie career out of there. and you can't. Okay, okay. You know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like, you know, Tom Cruise on the cover of Newsweek, but there were offers. They said, if you're willing to get on an airplane at your own expense from Detroit to L.A. just to do meetings, and we can couch him in a week, then okay, live wherever you want. I said, okay, Deal. And early on, for about three years, they came my way to have movie people sitting on my little boat on this little lake, you know, driving around trying to talk me into doing a movie. Was like, wow. I remember getting a FedEx from Woody Allen. Script for Radio Days. Wow.
1: Wow. Yours is a very dramatic version of this, which is there's people who they self-immolate. People will ask me about commerce versus the artistic and I'll say movies started missing for everybody but a lot of people then they stay in LA and they stay there where someone's walking up pulling your pants down sticking a thermometer up your ass and taking your temperature every 15 minutes to say how hot you are or not which is why I don't want to live there <laughs> which is why I don't want to fucking live there <laughs> I, just, I just can't handle you know uh, that the, the LA drives me insane that way but but, but the um, that actually happens by the way I've, I've got video footage to prove it but but my point is for you when you decided that you wanted that change. You didn't want to chase that thing. And you move. And you're still there. You still live
3: there. I do. We have a wonderful apartment here in New York, but that's it. That's, that's, that's the two of them. The family's back there. What are your three you know, kids I do? I didn't oh, trust it. I didn't right. trust Hollywood. I didn't trust the movie career. I had three, four great movies. They're movies that were, you know, of importance. And, um, but I didn't trust that it would last. You know, Goodman, I read something where John Goodman said, the limo that you're riding in tonight is rented, you know. Somebody else's ass is going to be in it tomorrow. And I, I always, you know, it was all so temporary.
1: Well, I mean, I've said this in, in this book I wrote. I started making movies in 86, and as I go through the 80s, I'm getting to be four or five years sober. All of it has the whiff of, like, uh, of getting high. It's another high I'm chasing. Very intoxicating. Look at social media now. Look at the YouTube
3: stars now. Look at all the people. You can just see them chasing it. See them wanting, 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 wanting. And you learn as you grow older. I'm often asked, when did you know that you made it? One of my answers is, it's when you're at the Golden Globes in 1985 for Purple Rose. And Michael J. Fox is up for Back to the Future. And you're both up in the same category. And I don't want to be there. I'm, I got the guard up. I just, I'm like, I, this is the last place I want to be. I want to be, this is everything I don't want. Um, and I'm sitting there, and Michael J. Fox, and there's a few stars that have done this, walked across and said, hi, I'm Michael. Nice to meet you. Oh, nice. yeah, nice to meet you. He goes, I said, you're, 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 what a Back to the Future. How great for you. And he goes, I'm the star, but you're the actor. <laughs> You know, and that's not on a billboard. That's not something you're going to see, you know, uh, in the Star School book of how what, what you may, how what making it is. And Michael's a terrific actor, and uh, but but for him to say something like that, you know, that mattered. And then it you know went away, and then I had to scramble. When did
1: it go away? In your mind, I made a
3: bunch of movies. No one saw right for the dough. No. No. The script. Movie you believed in. Okay. The script. Got, it, got and, it. and not even, you know, uh, later on, Squid and the Whales, things like that. This was Love Hurts with Bud Yorkin. Nice comedy that went belly up. Um, checking Out with David Leland. Uh, Joe Esterhaus wrote the first draft of it. And, and you know, nine great little independent movies. I fell in love with independent movies. And they didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. And so then I had to scramble. And I said, I need to do a movie that someone sees. Mm-hmm. And we got arachnophobia. Mm-hmm. Frank Marshall directed it. It was his first directing thing. Uh, you know, the studio didn't think it would do much, and then it tested great, and they said it's going to make a hundred million. And then you think, and John, huh?
1: You and John, right?
3: Goodman, yeah. John was in it, and um, he brought star power to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it ended up making about eighty million. And you know, it was like enough back then. It was enough to like get back in. But then I was still scrambling, and. Uh, I got Gettysburg, which was really just a four-hour, two-night TV thing on Who directed that? Ron Maxwell. Mm -hmm. But then it was, I need to shake this up. And that's when I went out and I auditioned for about three movies, one of which was Dumb and Dumber.
1: Which made $250 million.
3: Yeah, something like that. That
1: must have felt good.
3: That was the transition from going through an airport from, who are you? to Jeff Daniels, right.
1: suddenly they knew my name. And when you came back to do the sequel to that, which was how many years later? 20? Right. <laughs> I think it was, 20. <laughs> Whose idea was that? We, like, how, how does the sequel idea come up 20 years later? And they get the two of you to do it. Well, well of you have a lot going on. They get Jim to do it. Right,
3: right. <laughs> I'm like, call me when you're ready. Right. So I, I, I love the Farrellys. I love Jim. So with me it was just uh and we were doing newsroom, I think, second season, and uh all of a sudden it's real and it's coming. Now we're doing deals and it's like, okay, and we're gonna shoot it this summer and or in the fall, whenever it was gonna shoot it. I'm going, I'm all in. This is great. This is great. Yeah. I won the Emmy, a surprise win. Surprise Why?
1: win. Why? Why do you say that? <laughs> You had, up against.
3: You had Spacey in House of Cards. Right. You had Damian Lewis in Homeland. You had Brian in uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, Whom am I forgetting? Uh, John Hamm, Mad Men. And they all
1: canceled he, each other out.
3: I don't know, <laughs> but Newsroom and HBO said, "Just be glad you're going." Just, just be really, yeah. you know, enjoy the fact that you get to go. You're sitting in the balcony. You, you, you got a nice seat. Enjoy the seat. Because, you know, Gandolfini, not until the third year did he win. So, right. just it's be your nice. first year. Just don't get your hopes up. Got it.
1: Got it. And the winner is. Yeah.
3: And, and How I did won you feel? it on a Sunday night. Right. Was on a plane Monday morning for Atlanta. And was dressed as Harry Dunn in
1: *Dumb and Dumber* right. on a Tuesday morning,
3: day that? one of shooting.
1: That's this business. Yeah. Do you feel that, in some sense, everything you've done and the choices you made and the things you didn't do have led to where you are now with this play? Yeah, everything. It's the
3: role uh, Atticus Finch is the role of a lifetime, and in order to pull off everything that the entire team pulled off, including me, at least having someone a version of Atticus Finch that isn't beneath Gregory Peck's? Does it stand next to him? That's all I ask. Um, everything you've ever learned, all the stage technique that's taken decades to learn, uh, when to, how to pull an audience in, when to push them away, the timing, how to read different audiences. Oh, you're listening tonight. Mm. Got it. Quiet. Great. I'm going to pull you in even further. It varies, it changes. And the other actors watch, you know, they're, and they go with me, you know. And this, it can only come from having done this for
1: decades, decades. What's the toughest part of the play for you? Acting-wise, what's the part of the play where you think, I really gotta find something here?
3: There are a series of scenes that start with the closing argument that become this kind of um, tumble down the hill towards the bottom Perdicus where he finally gives up and says yes i know you're all right and i'm wrong. So that's a tumble but it's it's the part of the play i enjoy the most because i don't know what i'm going to find. The closing argument is different every night. Every night it's been wildly ferocious it's been quiet. I chase impulses inside it and that's when that's when acting is fun. That's between action and cut. You are, you, you, it's pulling you this way and you go and you chase it and you go and you go, now you're with Tom Robinson. Now you're turning to the other lawyer and you're chewing him out. Maybe you might want to think about what you're doing for a living because this isn't a shame on you, you know, and then you talk to the audience and you, you know, and it's, it's alive. It's alive. Almost six months into the run and it's still that way. I'm fascinated to see if it sustains for the year that I'm in this. I'm so appreciative of what the opportunity I've got. Everybody wanted this part. Everybody. <laughs> they made phone calls.
1: Everybody. How great that you're going to do it for a year. That's amazing. That's very old school, do it for a year. Yeah,
3: it's Atticus Finch. How Fonda did Mr. Roberts for a year. Lee J. Cobb did Death of a Salesman, I think, for over... I mean, that's what the old guys used to do. And I've done those 18-weekers, you know, which is that's terrific, but... This one kind of demanded that you stay in at, at least, you know, seven months to get to the, an audience the Tonys. audience for it, yeah. Because you know it's, there's going to be a drive for the Tonys. Uh, and time. so now you're seven months. And then Mockingbird, summer, family show, yeah, if it wins best play, well, then I can, okay, all right, summer in New York, why not? But now you're nine months, and let's, uh, let's make it a year and see if you can do it. See if you can sustain it and keep it alive without veering all over the road in months six, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see that.
1: Is there, is there something you need to do physically? Are you? Are there some kind of regimen you're doing? You're on your feet the whole goddamn thing. It's almost three hours. Well, there's that. That's, so there's the half-hour
3: walk you don't need to do. It is an endurance test. Yep. And so that means you have to treat it like an athlete you have to not train so much physically but your voice needs to be able to last eight weeks eight shows a week so how do we do that and you work with the vocal thing and you learn how to throw it up and nasally and all that like singers do uh, even though we're mic'd um, you eat right I don't go out I don't drink I, I, I'm trying I'm worried about September and October you never go to dinner after the show no you don't I go home want oh, you go home that's it I go home it's the obligation. I can't... I'm, I'm, I'm glad I don't drink. I don't come in hungover right. and try to get, you know, get through it, you know. And they're paying how much a ticket? Oh, well, what do I care? A lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. And, and you know, we do student matinees. We've done a couple of them where it's 1,400 kids, and that's a whole different show. They listen. They're great. Um, they, you know, when I, I have a fight scene with Bob Ewell later on, and I grab him by the hair... Um, It's 30 seconds of, whoa, whoa, oh, 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 kick his ass, oh, wow. That's a big change from the movie. Yeah, and it's, but they're into it. But those also the student, I don't have to do those. I can call in. Let Tom do it. Let the understudy do it. Give him a chance to do it. But I do the student matinees. And part of the reason I do it is not just for the kids, but the teachers. My daughter's a public school teacher. And those teachers are bringing these kids. They can't afford a Broadway ticket, and this is their chance to see Mockingbird on a Thursday at one o'clock at a student matinee. They're with, never going to forget it. Rock and roll. Who can you, you know? Everybody be quiet for a little bit, audience. And you do it for them.
1: They're never going to forget it. No. No. When young people, you, they take them to the theater, they never forget it. I mean, the first plays I saw when I was a kid, I'll never forget it. And these kids,
3: in the last third of the play, they're right with us. Right with us. So they're listening. It's pretty cool.
1: I did Streetcar on Broadway, and I'm in my room, and I never thought about Brando. Never. And then opening night comes, and I'm in my room, and I go, what the fuck have I done? And Greg Mosher walks in and says, Marlon Brando is 300 pounds. And he's in a house up on Mulholland Drive. And he's not coming down here to do Streetcar on Broadway tonight. Because if this audience that paid these tickets wants to see Streetcar on Broadway and see it live, it's you. You're it now. And for a whole generation of people, you're going to be Atticus Finch, which is kind of a cool thing. How do you feel about that?
3: Honored. <laughs> I really am. Thank you.
1: I'm honored. to. Uh, that means I pulled it off. With his fresh, subtle, and emotionally grounded performance, Jeff Daniels does indeed pull it off. Do you hear that, Tony voters? I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing.
2: Here are
0: reasons to try a Nest mattress. One, they have a mattress for every kind of sleeper. Two, Nest offers free exchanges within a 100-night trial. And three, save hundreds on everything bedroom-related. Now through the summer at nestbedding.com.
1: This is Stephen Jackson, co-host of the podcast All The Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and iHeartMedia in partnership with Showtime. Each week, my brother Matt Barnes and I, two NBA champions, sit down with the biggest names in sports and culture, the great DMX. How special was he as an artist? At his height, he was as big as any rapper out really? there. I mean, he was one of the greatest to ever touch the mic. Join Matt and I every week for All The Smoke to hear interviews you won't get anywhere else. Subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.